So it was very evident that patients wanted healthcare decisions, decisions about medicine, to be between them and their healthcare provider. And that when these non-medical switching scenarios unfolded, they felt like that relationship was really being abused and disrespected. That was Amanda Conchefter. Amanda recently led a research project to gather insight about patients' experience with non-medical switching. She also serves as the communications director of the Alliance for Patient Access. I'm Brian Kennedy, and you're listening to AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. Amanda, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. It's good to talk with you. I've been on the listening end for a long time. I'm glad to finally be a guest here on AFPA's Patient Access Podcast. So let's take up the topic of non-medical switching. For a lot of viewers or listeners tonight, they may not know exactly what is non-medical switching. There are a lot of these terms used. Could you just take a moment maybe to define non-medical switching? Of course. So non-medical switching happens, typically we're talking about patients who have chronic conditions. And generally these patients have worked with their doctor or their healthcare provider to find a treatment that really helps stabilize that condition for them. And after that condition is stabilized, we see that something changes. And that may be the health plan changes its formulary. It no longer covers the drug that the patient depends upon, or it may be that the coverage is changed somehow so that the patient's out of pocket, for example, is too high. The patient can no longer afford the medication. But the end result is that that patient, for reasons that are unrelated to his or her medical condition or health, has to change from the medication that keeps them stable to a medication that's preferred or less expensive for their health insurance. So we're here today talking about a study that uh, AFPA recently undertook looking at the qualitative impact of non-medical switching. Can you talk a little bit about what is this study? Of course. So non-medical switching is something that we had heard about from providers and from patients and advocates for some years. And so what we wanted to do was to take a look and see how this impacts patients on a qualitative level. So how is this really touching their lives from a variety of different aspects and impacting their ability to, to live the life that they want to live? And so we set up the study with a couple of different facets. The first phase was to do some in-person focus groups. And we sat for a few hours and just listened to these people who had all experienced non-medical switching firsthand, listen to them describe their experiences what they went through, how it happened, how they felt, how it impacted their health and their well-being and other aspects of their life. And then we took that information and used it to create a national online survey. And that survey was the second phase of the research. So you're really looking across all different disease states. You're getting experiences from people who suffer from these conditions, but they all have this in common. They're stable on their medicine, Somebody at a health plan somewhere decides, no, they can no longer access that medicine, that they have to move to a different medicine uh, to tr treat their condition. Is that right? Yes. So let's talk about a few of those. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the impact upon day-to-day -day activity and home life and workplace. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the study found there? 
Yes. So we asked a couple of questions to try to determine the impact on home life. And we found that a lot of patients discovered they couldn't continue the regular hobbies, those activities that they enjoyed doing, whether those were volunteer activities, sports, um, you know, being involved in their community, that they really, they felt they couldn't continue those or have the same kind of enjoyment from them that they used to. And then we found that people really struggled to continue with the caretaking responsibilities that they had at home. So caring for their children, their spouse, uh, grandchildren, family members, you know, 43% said they weren't able to do that like they needed to. So we found there was a distinction in age demographics. So across the board, we saw about 43% say they weren't able to care for family members. But in the age group of 18 to 34-year-olds, that number was significantly higher, 70%. And I think we have to assume that these are the people who may have young children at home. They're trying to raise families. And so dealing with some of the unexpected side effects, some of the symptoms that are reemerging because of the non-medical switching has a serious impact on their ability to do what they need to do for, for the people in their, in their home and the people that they're, responsibility, they're, they're responsible for taking care of. Then we also saw an impact on work life as well. You know, I remember in one of the focus groups, a guy who had post-traumatic stress disorder and I think chronic pain as well, he was describing his experience after he was switched and he said, I just kept falling asleep at work because drowsiness was one of the side effects of the medicine that his insurer switched him to. I remember one patient, and that paper was in the focus group or in an open-end response to the survey, talking about missing out on life events like weddings and vacations and holidays and you know time with friends and family. And she, she said something to the effect of, I felt like I was going to die on my children right. uh, after the switch had taken place. So here's somebody whose condition has been well-managed by the medicine that Maybe after some time it took to find and get stabilized on and be, be functioning well on, suddenly find their health plan switches them, and now they're taking a different medicine. That medicine's not working as well for them, and you know it's having such an impact upon them, they, they feel like their life is at risk. Yeah, and you mentioned life events. I remember we had a participant in one of the focus groups who said he could barely remember the birth of his daughter and that he felt, in essence, that he wasn't even really there for that experience because he had recently switched his medication and the medication, the new medication made him feel a little sort of hazy and, and out of it. And, you know, it was heartbreaking to hear because that's obviously an experience he's not going to have the chance to, to relive. And that's one of those things you don't think about. And I think sometimes policymakers and, and health insurers may not think about when they're looking to make these changes that they see as purely medical or superficial in some way. You know, it all goes back to um, this kind of emotional and anxiety um, sort of response that takes place when these switches are happening, how strongly people feel about their medicines. Right. You know, I think oftentimes this is characterized by, look, all we're doing is asking people to take the red pill instead of the blue pill because that this month we can buy the red pill cheaper than the blue pill. What's the big deal? Mm -hmm. But for people, there seems to be a very strong emotional attachment to the medicine that works for them. And so as a result, when the switch takes place, there's a high level of anxiety. Yeah, so it's interesting because definitely one of the major findings that I think we had was this idea that medicine is 
personal and it matters to these patients. A large part of that, I think, is because some of them worked so hard to find that medicine. We had patients agree that they worked with their doctor or their healthcare provider to find the right medicine. It was hard. You know, 60% 60 agreed with that. And that was a process, I think, for a lot of patients. Months, weeks, years even. Let's try this one. No, it doesn't work. Let's try this one. The side effects aren't right, you know. And so they finally find this medicine, and, and they're pushed off of it by their insurer. And they do have anxiety. They described being frustrated. They described being confused. They even described feeling helpless. And I think what, what insurers and policymakers have to realize is that those qualitative factors have an impact in other ways. For example, we saw that almost 40% of people got so frustrated with the process of non-medical switching that they just gave up. And I can remember one of the participants in the focus group when we were in Dallas was explaining this. And, you know, as he was saying it, he sort of pushed his chair back from the table and he threw his hands up and he said, so I just, I just stopped taking it. And it was clear that in his mind, he thought this was his way of getting back at the insurer, right? That he was going to have his say and he was going to sort of show them. They weren't just going to mess with him and tell him what to do about his medicine. But of course, this has medical complications. And this is how people wind up in the emergency room. It's how people wind up in the hospital with even more complicated and more serious problems. So to say that the qualitative factors don't matter, I think ignores the reality that they, they very often do materialize in dangerous and, for the health insurer's interest, expensive ways for these patients. And the frustration and the anxiety seems to be warranted. I recall that the, the study found that 62% of patients had side effects right. after a switch. They reported side effects. 72% said they had re-emerging symptoms after the switch. So it's not as if it's just kind of an irrational fear that something might be different, that people are reporting, in fact, when they do do a switch, that they, they do have re-emerging symptoms, that they do experience side effects, that they are reporting back to their health care providers to seek additional care. Right. So what were some of the findings uh, with respect to health that the uh, study, study brought to light? Yeah, so I think some of the things that you mentioned earlier, the side effects, the interaction between new medicines and other medicines, like we talked about earlier, a lot of these patients have multiple conditions and multiple medicines that they're trying to manage. The disease symptoms that they had had under control on their previous medication now coming back again, 28%. And you have to know that that must be very frustrating for the patients who've worked so hard to get these conditions under control. But we also found, you know, in terms of health plan utilization, if you will, these people are now having to do extra lab tests, 22%. They're having to switch other medications that they take for other conditions. So it's not just even the one medicine. They're having to switch around their whole medical regimen. That's 18%. Almost one in 10 wound up in the hospital. So in many ways, you're not achieving any savings for the healthcare system. In fact, you may be driving more cost into a different part of the system. Yeah, there's a great story. One of the guys in, uh, in Des Moines was describing for us, and he just he made the point perfectly in his story. He, he was a Crohn's patient. He had worked with his doctor. He was on a medication that was working for him. He was stable. And then his insurer wanted to switch him. And the new medicine was, uh, it was an oral medicine. It was pills. They were very large pills. And I think he had to take six a day, as I recall. Well, it, it went 
very wrong very quickly, and a few of those got lodged in his intestines, um, and he had a blockage, and so he ended up going to the hospital where he spent seven days. And he said they thought they were going to save money doing this. They didn't save any money at all. And, and I think that story, though not every patient's experience may be that extreme, it certainly speaks to the reality that that switching patients does have costs, both, both qualitative and quantitative, down the line. So paying a little bit more for a pill um, might be uh, a lot less expensive than paying for a week of hospitalization. Right. You know, and when you think of that, almost one in 10 uh, of the respondents in the survey reported seeking care at a hospital after a switch. That's tremendous cost to the healthcare system. Right. But at the same time, from the insurer's standpoint, they may say, well, 40% abandoned medication, which meant we didn't have to pay anything. We didn't have to pay for a red pill or a blue pill if they abandoned medicine. That's so, true, yes. I mean, no, a cynical view of, the, right. of their behavior may be they know that. And sure. they know that there's tremendous savings if they can just keep get people to quit filling prescriptions. Yeah, I think they would argue that. I think you have to wonder how many of those people who have been in their medicine end up at the hospital or yeah. end up back at their doctor's office or end up needing other medications, rescue medications and that sort of thing. Um, so, Well, it's interesting. And oftentimes, you know, the concern is all this happens in the silo. So whoever has the budget for the pharmacy benefit right. maybe only think about their budget and not the person who has the budget for the medical benefit where costs are being driven over to. Right. So it's, it's um, one of the frustrations about what's taking place in our healthcare system. What is the impact on the physician-patient relationship? I mean, in some ways, we like to think about the best healthcare resulting from decisions that are made between a patient and their healthcare provider. So this has to have some impact on this relationship. We say we want a system of strong relationships between providers and patients. This has to disrupt that relationship, I would think. I think... This is one of the aspects of non-medical switching that really didn't sit well with the patients that we polled. You could see they were very unhappy with the sense that the health plan had intervened into a relationship where they just didn't belong. We had 73% of respondents on the national poll say, look, my healthcare provider and I had already decided how to treat my condition, and the insurer's plan was disrupting our plans. And I think... They also, one of, the, one of the most straightforward findings I think that we had, right, was that my healthcare provider should be a part of any decision that impacts my medicine, right? That was 93% of, of, of patients who were polled who agreed to that. But then this idea that, that the power to make medical decisions belongs with the doctor. And it came through very, very clearly. And we saw that patients really look to their healthcare provider as their ally when a switch like this occurs. We asked patients, you know, who do you go to when this first happens? You, you're feeling that confusion, that anxiety, that frustration. You're trying to figure out what to do. And 54% said, yes, I'm going to go to my doctor or my healthcare provider first and see how they can help me. 78% said my healthcare provider was my ally. 72% agreed that the healthcare provider was right there with them in terms of feeling frustrated about the switch. So it was very evident that patients wanted healthcare decisions, decisions about medicine, to be between them and their healthcare provider. And that when these non medical switching scenarios unfolded, they felt like that relationship was really being abused and disrespected. 
Well, I think it's a fascinating study. I encourage everybody to take a look at it. You can find it on the Alliance for Patient Access website. Uh, there's also a video uh, that summarizes the results, uh, not only the paper reporting the results in the abstract as well. It's something that will continue to highlight uh, through educational resources like this podcast. But I think it's in many ways as policymakers are again revisiting our, our, our health um, care in this country, an issue that needs to be prioritized. Let's ensure that patients can stick with what's working for them, um, avoid non-medical switching, get decision-making back to the clinical level between a doctor and their patient, and then let's respect that decision-making and policy should support that decision-making. If we can accomplish that, I think our healthcare system will, will um, be much better and we'll have much better health outcomes. I agree. Thank you.